We have breaking news to react to tonight. Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Vienge, your host. And the Seahawks did not waste any time getting this offseason started. An offseason that we have talked at length over the last few months was going to be one of the most intriguing that we've seen in a long time. And uh, arguably the most crucial in what remains of Pete Carroll's tenure and his career, certainly as a head coach, and perhaps for John Schneider too. And certainly pivotal in terms of this rebuild that we're in, taking advantage of the second year of the extra picks that we received from the Denver Broncos and the Russell Wilson trade. We've talked quarterbacks. We've talked defense and draft picks. You know what we haven't talked about? is special teams. And today, the Seattle Seahawks took care of a key part of their special teams, giving Jason Myers a new four-year extension, total value of $21.1 million. That's an average annual value of $5.3 million, a raise of about a million and a half for Jason Myers. He signed a four-year deal in 2018 for a total of $15.5 million. Second only in the NFL now to the great Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens as far as average annual value um, goes. So this prompts a lot of questions. Um, And it's going to evoke some pretty strong opinions because there are those of you, and I'm seeing it already on social media, that just do not believe that a kicker is worth significant dollars. Certainly, given the Seattle Seahawks' salary cap situation and some of the priorities they have and their quarterback situation that looms in the near future, every dollar counts. Uh, So I thought I would come on and give you my thoughts, obviously, and some context. Try to put this in perspective of what it might mean. Uh, First of all, Jason Myers makes a Pro Bowl this year, maybe his best season as a pro. Um. 41 out of 42 extra points. That was a little bit of an issue for him in years past. 34 out of 37 field goals. Most impressively, 6 out of 6 from over 50 yards during the regular season. One for one in the playoffs. The 56-yarder right before the half um, after the uh, the penalty uh, on the illegal hit to Geno Smith um, at the time gave the Seahawks a lead. It was a huge play in the game. And and really uh, helped erase the memory of the kick that he missed. That would have won it in regulation against the Rams in Week 18. Of course, he atoned for that by hitting the game winner in overtime. So he has proven to be a consistent kicker, one who's effective on kickoffs and long-range field goals. And now, which you know, really over the last couple of years, it, it feels like he hasn't had many opportunities to make clutch kicks. He had some of those chances this year, and he cashed in on them. So career 86% field goals. And in his career, 67% over 50 yards. So Jason Myers, 31 years old, in the prime of his career, and the Seahawks felt like it was important to bring him back. Um, So I took a look at some things, first of all, just to see where he fits in the NFL. Because the first thing I wanted to tackle was, man, that's too much money for a kicker. The Seahawks have other things. They have other fish to fry. Um, I was surprised at some of the things I found. Just going to over the cap and spot track and looking at current kicker um, contracts in the NFL. 13 kickers right now are making over $4 million a year in average annual value. 19 are making over 13 or making over $3 million. So two-thirds of the league is paying their kicker over $3 million. Um, 
and 13 of them are paying them four. When you look at, do yourself a favor, if you're, if you're confused by this move or upset by this move, go take a look at the kickers in the NFL. Look at the 32 names. Um, you'll see a couple of things. First of all, you'll see seven or eight guys that just keep bouncing around from team to team. Kickers can be like relief pitchers in baseball. Very volatile. Great one year, not so great the next. One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? Remember how bad Eddie Pinheiro was at the Bears? He's kicked pretty well since then with other teams, for example. But also look at this. For any of you out there thinking, man, they could have saved some money there. Let's just go draft a kicker. And Michael Thompson and I, when we did our live mock draft a month ago, we did that. We took Noah Ruggles out of Ohio State in the sixth round thinking, hey, you know, let's take the best kicker in college. Let's save some money there. Uh, rookie kickers have not fared well in the NFL over the last six or seven years. Here's a good example. This year's first team all-pro kicker, Daniel Carlson of the Raiders. He was great in college. He's been great with the Raiders. Do you remember how he flamed out in Minnesota? How incensed Mike Zimmer was and how impatient he was when he missed a couple of kicks as a rookie? Got into a slump, had the yips, got cut. And then he caught on. Jason Myers failed before he succeeded. You know, flamed out of Jacksonville. Seahawks signed him. He lost a training camp battle to Sebastian Janikowski. Went to the Jets. Had a, had a Pro Bowl year. Came to the Seahawks. Had a bad year. And then bounced back. Only one rookie kicked the entire season this year for his team. And that was Cade York for the Cleveland Browns. And he wasn't great. 75% on field goals this year. He was cheap but he wasn't great. Do you want to trust a rookie? If you have any intention of being a contending team, the Seahawks trust Jason Myers and they decided to pay him. Also look at it this way. Based on those numbers I just gave you, a third of the league is paying their kicker $4 million a year. They were paying Jason Myers $3.8 million a year. So he's making a million three more than, than that benchmark. Um, I think it's easy to see why the Seahawks might feel like he's worth that. I think that's the way they're looking at this. Rather than, man, we can go with a rookie kicker and save $4 bucks this year against the cap. They're thinking, we trust this guy. This guy's going to make some big kicks for us. We're going to be a good team next year. That's our intention. We're going to lock this guy up. Um, and so they do. Uh, I've already had some conversations with some people about what this might mean. And I've already heard some of this. Well, this might mean that they're planning on moving on from Geno Smith, despite all the talk on Monday that he's our guy from Pete Carroll. And they know they're going to save some money there. Uh, popular theory, the last 24 hours, and Seattle Sports 710 kind of started this, is maybe they go with Drew Locke and they draft a guy and they let Geno go. Maybe they trade him on the transition tag or on the non-exclusive rights tag, and they get some draft capital for him. They save $20 million, and maybe they know they're going to do that. Um, anything is possible. And I, on that subject, I will say this, and we're certainly going to talk a lot more about this over the coming weeks. I don't think the Seahawks know exactly what they're going to do this offseason. I think they're entering into a very, what I would call a Jerry DePoto offseason where they have plans. They have a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, D, E, F. And maybe plan A is to keep Gino. 
see what market value is for him and go from there and then adapt as things happen. Certainly they haven't even begun digging in in person to the quarterback class. Once they start going to pro days and interviewing these guys and John Schneider will get personally involved in that. That could change. They might today, just like Pete Carroll said on Monday, believe that Geno Smith is our guy. That belief could change over the next couple of months. What I think it, it, it is more likely to mean is that they know they have cap flexibility. And we're going to get into this in a couple of weeks. I just uh, checked in with John Gilbert from Field Goals again today, trying to get our schedule straight. Uh, it looks like next week we're going to try to get together. He is uh, He knows the cap and how it works as well as anyone out there, and we're going to dive into that, where the Seahawks actually are. Because you hear this a lot. They're the fifth most cap space in the league. That doesn't include Geno Smith. doesn't include some of their exclusive rights, free agents, restricted free agents, unrestricted free agents that they certainly want to bring back. Um, but what it does mean, you know, don't freak out either. Don't, when you read an article out there about uh, that, you know, once you take away the draft picks because they have extra high picks and you sign Geno, that all that cap space goes away. Having the fifth most cap space right now in the league means they have flexibility. They have more flexibility. It's better to have 50 million in cap space today, regardless of what your contract status of your 53 man roster is, than it does to, to not have 53 or $50 million in cap space, right? A lot of teams would want to trade places with the Seahawks. It gives them flexibility. What I think it means is that they know that they can come up with the money to cover what they just spent today and they feel like it's worth it because they want to be able to trust their kicker to make big kicks consistently because they plan to win games. There are other ways that you can save money. And I would argue that there are ways that are more obvious that you could save money where you can see right now, again, based on Carol's comments Monday, that they plan to spend money or save money. And that would be on the defensive line. They know they're going to draft heavily in their front seven. So maybe Shelby, Shelby Harris is a cap cut. Maybe Quentin Richardson or uh, Quentin Jefferson is a cap cut. Right? Maybe Al Woods is a cap cut. Maybe they, he doesn't see the second year of his deal. Or maybe they restructure some of that. And then we've talked about the safety situation. So um, I wouldn't wring your hands over this. I would tuck this one away. Tuck it away and see where it fits in the grand scheme of things when we look back at this five months from now. If we look back and there's a player move that we feel like could have been made that would have put this team over the top or, or, or a hole that they didn't address this offseason that a couple extra million dollars would have helped them address, then maybe you can cherry pick a little bit, look back to this move and say, maybe we could have saved some money on kicker. Um, but I will tell you this. There is what you think and what the fans think, and there's what the Seahawks think. And I know how important special teams are to Pete Carroll. And if you don't, you just haven't been listening because he's been trying to tell you for years. And uh, I just think they value Jason Myers to the point that they were prepared to make him the second highest paid kicker in the league. Um, so that's where we are today. Jason Myers, a new four-year $21.1 million deal to stay in Seattle, um, perhaps for the rest of his career. And the Seahawks have one less thing to worry about heading into this offseason. There's a, there's a big, long checklist for this team. 
in order to get to where they want to get to and make up some of that ground in San Francisco. And, and uh, they have checked one of those boxes. One of the question marks can be removed off their off-season plan. Um, those are my thoughts. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Uh, if you agree, disagree, um, certainly I would love to hear about it. Uh, later this week, Dana and I are going to get together to to do our first, have our first conversation since the end of the regular season and set the stage for the off season. And then uh, next Monday, I'll be recording a show with Griffin Sturgeon of the Overload Podcast, um, and he's an XNL guy. Um, I have admitted on this show many times that I am not as much as I'd like to be a little bit, not as much as I'd like to be. Um, he has been, um, really, really, um, articulate in, in how he's expressed on Twitter since the end of the regular season, some of the adjustments the Seahawks have made on defense and actually defending some of the things that they've done and tends to side on the side of the argument that, the talent gap on defense isn't as significant, isn't isn't something that they don't need to address. It certainly is, but might not be as tall of a task as we think. That there are some scheme things in place that are good and can and should work. And then we're also going to talk about the three four versus the four three and the two man front and bear and some of those things that you hear a lot about. We're going to try to put some of those in layman's terms for you and help you to understand. So that as we head into this off season, you're going to hear a lot of talk about edge players had some of these debates today already what that means what when we talk about edge players and defensive linemen heading into the draft what style and type of linemen should the Seahawks be targeting to be most effective in this scheme as they tried to run it this season and as they want to run it and Griffin's going to help us figure some of that out so that we have a little clarity heading into the draft so those are some of the things coming up but for now, Seahawks have a kicker, and he's the same kicker that we've had, and he's uh, making a lot more money than he was this morning. <laughs> I am Dan Viennes. This is the Field Goals Podcast. Um, follow us on Twitter. Follow Field Goals, at Field Goals, and uh, subscribe to the podcast if you can. Then you'll get notifications anytime there's a new episode. In this offseason, there's going to be a lot of things like this happening. Anytime I'm available to record when there's breaking news, I will react to it immediately. Um, uh, this is going to be a fun offseason. You want to be a part of it, so please be sure to subscribe. And if you like the if you like the podcast, leave us a review. We'd appreciate that as well. Uh, Dane and I will be back in a couple of days. Until then, thanks for listening. Go Hawks.